0: welcome to another episode of courtside with and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We're back. First one of the year, 2024. Happy New Year to all our listeners. Um, Happy New Year to my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. We didn't know at the outset of the year exactly when we were going to record our first one. I think there's plenty of snippets that we can hit on today. So before we get into it, Happy New Year to you and your family. I hope 2024 is a great one for all.
1: Well, right back at you, David. Happy New Year to you. And I'm I'm glad to be back at it again. A lot of things going on in the game this week.
0: Yeah. And let's why I I guess we start with Rafa, right? And let's put the hip injury to the side um, for a second. I thought, in my personal opinion, this was perfect preparation going into Australia. The reason being you play three matches. The first match he plays Dominique Team. He gets through that, he wins his second. The third one, he has three match points against Jordan Thompson, loses. But to me, I feel like have Rafa been out basically for a whole year, you need those tight, tense moments live before it happens in a major. Yeah, he fell a little bit short, but I felt, again, preparation-wise was perfect. Now, when he said he felt that same pain in the hip, Hopefully, that's maybe like a, a shock to the muscle, is what they're all hoping. That's a different story. But let's talk preparation matches
1: alone. You agree with me on that? Oh, Great I do. Breath. Yeah, I do. Listen, it, it, a number of thoughts. First, the team match you mentioned. They had a very good first set that it went to, a, it looked like it was going to a tiebreaker. And team had a bunch of chances to hold to make it 6 all, and Rafa managed to squeeze out a break and then roared through the second set. Teams leveled he didn't sustain the level that he had in the first set that was too bad i thought that'd be a bit closer but good effort from rafa for first match back it was remarkable then he blitzed through his next match so he those two matches combined took about three hours Uh, so it was it was ideal for him in the sense that he was conserving energy and then of course the jordan thompson match came and that was nearly three and a half hours and he was on the edge of winning it, David, in, at five and four. He won the first at seven, five, and he's up match point at five, four in the second. And uh, he made a great lob over Thompson's head, took the net away from Thompson, who had served in volley, and came in and then Thompson put up a lob. that was not too deep, but it was over Rafa's backhand side. And how many times have we seen Rafa on that backhand overhead just snap it away with as only he can? Well, this one... He went. He didn't really go after it the same way. He went for a short angled shot on uh, on the, the backhand overhead and missed it in the net. And then Thompson held on. They go to a tiebreaker and two more match points for Rafa in the tiebreak that Jordan managed to escape. One of them was a relatively easy forehand down the line that Rafa missed, and then uh, Thompson forced him an error on the on the last one. And then the third set came down to one break early, and Thompson won the match. You know, comfortably enough from there, but. Rafa did leave the court to allude to the injury that you mentioned at 4-1 down in the third down of break to have that hip hip injury checked out and didn't seem too bad when he returned. He was having trouble recovering on his back inside, but he looked OK, but didn't couldn't get the break back. They had an interesting last game of the match. He pushed him hard. So to, to long story short, I think your point's well taken. He would he would have signed up for having three matches this week and for getting tested like that. But he wouldn't have signed up for the concern because the problem is that psychologically, even if the tests show that he's okay and he can proceed now, practice sessions leading up to the Australian, in the back of his mind, he's going to be worried that something like that could happen again. And is more, is is I don't want to say likely, but it's entirely possible, and especially in best of five. Yes. This, this was best of three and went almost three and a half hours. So... I'm not saying that that many players can do that. Thompson is a very good defender. He's only 55 in the world, and he did end up losing to Dimitrov in the semifinals. But uh, he he played Rafa just right, especially a rusty Rafa in the sense of extending the rallies, attacking when he could. He played a very smart, guileful match and 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 used his you know his his experience and match playing prowess, and he, he did a good job. And then Rafa you as he understandably when he was on the verge of winning in straight sets three times once before the tiebreaker twice in the breaker he couldn't quite finish it off the way the uh, a rafa uh, the way a uh, a typical rafa would who's got a lot of matches under his belt so it, it there was a certain logic to it if you think about it but uh, the injury thing is concerning i mean i'm sure then that he hoped that he could get through this week injury-free, regardless of when and where he lost. I don't think he ever expected to win the tournament. But the level was reasonably high, you know, for the first week back. And uh, I think encouraging some respect. So we'll see what happens. Going, He's going to have to take it carefully heading into the Australian Open, not overdo the practice sessions. Hopefully we're going to get word soon that whatever the case was with this injury, it's not serious enough to stop him from going forward.
0: Let's let's all hope that it's just like kind of what they said, maybe a shock to the muscle, especially playing three and a half hours, because, again, like you said, it's a it's a whole new world doing it, doing it uh, two out of three versus three out of five, three out of five. He's going to be testing that muscle, you know, depending on how long he lasts in Australia. So hopefully it's nothing but, you know, some soreness and and he could have a good week of prep and go. For David, now, you mentioned
1: just you a mentioned, quick, oh, go ahead quick follow up to that. Sorry to interrupt. He did say that it made it sound like it wasn't really until say maybe four to six weeks prior to this tournament that he really started stepping up his practice sessions but there's this there's again a world of difference between practice sessions and actual match play he'd be the first to admit it so everything is still relatively new for him and I, I just think, I think he understood that If he tried to move any sooner than that with getting ready for here, then maybe he never would have shown up here in Brisbane. So all credit to him for for the cautious way he's moving forward and how he's trying to navigate this territory. But he did make a, a couple of other statements, David, is that he he doesn't know whether he'll get he thinks it's he still seems to be leaning toward the fact that it's very likely this is his last year. And then he also alluded to the fact that maybe he doesn't get a full year. So he's bracing himself for the fact that maybe he doesn't get through this for you, but we all know that the old, the real goal is going to be to somehow be in peak form for Roland Garros to give that one last crack to try to get a 15 title at, at the French open. And, and that that's, that's really what's in the back of his mind.
0: A hundred percent agree. And, you know, you mentioned um, Jordan Thompson who beat Roth and then loses to Grigor Dimitrov. I mean, Steve Grigor, it's like a, Resurgence in his career, and I was it 2017 in the semis. He took Rafa to that unbelievable was a seven five in the fifth, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah, oh
1: yeah, that was a great match. Yeah, a great five setter, uh, and over four and a half hours and play. And I remember I was there, and I went to the interview after his very late interview, and how how Grigor was actually mad he's he's a sportsman but he was mad he thought that he would he could tell he thought he should have won it and Rafa fended him off in that fifth set and I frankly think Grigor cost Rafa that Australian Open title because under similar circumstances eight years earlier in 2009 Rafa had gone five hours 14 minutes with Berdasco in the semis but he was a much younger man and he came back and beat Roger in the finals in five sets this time he plays Roger again on the heels of a a harrowing five-setter, and he didn't have quite as much energy or physicality, I, I felt like it was a slightly diminished Rafa, not not crippled by any means, but not at his very best either. And I've always thought if he could have gotten by Grigor, Grigor a bit faster that year, maybe the outcome of the final would have been different. We'll never know.
0: We'll never know, right. Um, let me timestamp this um, because Grigor's playing in the final um, later tonight versus Holger Runa. It's Saturday night around 5.15 Eastern time um, in the States. So I just wanted to timestamp this, depending when people listen, we have some finals that we don't have the results yet, but uh, obviously we don't have the draw for Australia and and we'll do the next episode. We'll, we'll have the draw and we'll, we'll preview some things. It's going to be interesting depending on Gregor's draw. um, If he can make a serious run at this, you know, he's been playing very, very good tennis, um, the last several months going into the latter stages of, uh, uh, of 2023. So can't really project too much about it because the draw is not out, but, but he's someone you really want to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah. And he's someone who's, he he did reasonably well in the latter stages last year against the top guys had a win over Alcaraz, had a win over Medvedev, you know, played Novak in the finals of the Paris Paris event. He, He lost it straight there, but he, he acquitted himself well against the top players, and I feel like uh, he's got more confidence than he's had in a long time. I, I could see, maybe best case scenario, I could see another semifinal appearance for him. There, you know, I'd be shocked if it went further, but it wouldn't be a bit surprised if he if there was some kind of loophole on in the draw, or he had one really uh, excellent win that opened things up for himself, and he made it to the penultimate round. That that that's that's how I look at Dimitrov's path.
0: Yeah, I'm eager. I'm eager to see how that plays out. So that's the men's side, and in, in, uh, for Spain on the women's side, we got <laughs> two familiar names. Sabalenka plays Rubakina in the final. There's nothing that uh, is stopping me from thinking these two are going to be facing each other in latter stages of tournaments all through 2024.
1: Yeah, they are. They are. That's going to be a fascinating match. Rubakina, I still believe, is is probably the best server in women's tennis, and Sabalenka is the most electrifying shot maker it can hit winners from anywhere it's a great matchup it's an exciting matchup and I think that one will come down I expect it to be very close as we sit here now in in advance of it and I think that Sabalenka is going to have to return really well but uh, Rivakana if she's serving her very best she's such a tough out such she's a great player when that serve is working at full efficiency
0: I'll be eager to see that match. And again, I think they're going to face each other quite a bit this year. Obviously throw Iga into the mix as well. I want to go down to Auckland now and Coco Goff. She plays Vidalina in the final. You know, we've talked a a bunch about Coco's run in the summer, especially after the first round loss after Wimbledon. But Steve, in my eyes, even after now that she's won her first major, um, that being in the U.S. Open, seeing her play, Later in the fall, and now, right now, the beginning of 2024, Steve, she's playing with so much confidence, like a swagger almost on the court. She really has belief in her game. I don't feel, at least from what I can see, any expression on her at all about any real doubts in her game. It's like a mature, stronger, more confident Coco Goff. and that's dangerous for the rest of the field.
1: Yes. And I think this was, this was the right way for her to start the year to come into it. It's not, it's not a super strong, she's not dealing with the Sabalenkas or Rybaka. Those are the other top players, which is ideal. And I think she's certainly the favorite going into the Switalina match. And yeah, this has been great preparation for her. And yes, yeah, she is carrying herself with immense confidence and, and self-assurance. So, uh, it would be a big lift if she's able to take this title. It's not a disaster if she loses it, but if she wins the title, it's, it's, it's perfect boost for her going into the Australian and having won the last Grand Slam title. You know, I think she, she knows she's one of the, you know, one of the favorites, not the favorite. I think certainly Swiatek is the favorite. And, and you, but you put Coco right in that next bunch of players behind Iga uh, as the strongest candidates to win the title. And I agree with you the way her demeanor and her outlook and her there's almost a quiet swagger out there that, that's impressive to see.
0: A hundred percent. Now I want to go talk about the United Cup because you can kind of get lost in that competition a lot. There's a lot going on, you know, in those, I think, what is it, a 10-day event? Um, I could be wrong on that. I think it's a 10-day event. But there's a lot going on with a lot of matches. Um, Alex DiMenor, he now enters the top 10. He's been playing great tennis. Australia did lose to Germany. Germany, uh, they won, a, a, I think it was 15-13 in the doubles. Um, so they play Poland in the final. That's going to be uh, Iga versus Kerber, Angelique Kerber. Then you got Herkosh versus Varev, and then you got the dubs. Those are going to be good matches. Um, Alex DeMenoor, obviously not as much of a veteran as Grigor, but again, especially playing in his home country in a, in a couple of weeks in Australia, he's going to be someone we want to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, he is. He, uh, Ken Rosewall was saying he thinks that Demonor has taken his game to an, an up a level. He got a big boost by beating a, a, an off form, but still Novak Djokovic is Novak Djokovic. So I think that Demonor uh, quitted himself well, didn't lose his serve against Djokovic in that match. And Djokovic has got the wrist issue, which we can talk about in a minute. But that was, he backed up that win and beat uh, Zarev. And I I, I think he... Yeah, I think he has gone to another level, and he does seem determined to prove his critics wrong that you know he can really be a force in this game. And nice way for him to start the year. Another player I want to just mention briefly, and uh, among the group that you referred to, uh, Angie Kerber. Kerber, of course, is Zareb's teammate. Kerber won a terrific match. She's had a, she had some tough losses during the week, but then. She just came off a really nice win over Tom Janovic, where she saved a couple of match points in that third set tiebreak. was a really hard fought match and would have been, I think, uh, very disconcerting for her to lose it. She needed a win like that. So that's nice coming into the finals. Got her work cut out for her if she's going to beat Ego, which I think is highly unlikely. But it's really nice to see Kerber, who, of course, has won all of the Grand Slam events except for the French Open, back in business after having had a baby. It's nice to see her back. And obviously, Naomi Osaka back as well
0: yes yes it was good to see um, uh, Naomi back and and someone uh, a name of note that I should say who's playing doubles for Germany in the finals of the United Cup is Laura Sigamund and for those that remember especially in the States Sigamund played Coco in the was it it was the first round or second round of the US yeah season? first round yeah. I think yeah um, first round, and there was you know the, a little bit of controversy with pace of play and everything like that. But um, that's a name that that people will remember. Um, in that, I would say testy early round match in New York, as Coco went on to to win the rest of her matches in the title. Um, a few Americans, I just wanted to point out that um, unfortunately are going to be out with injuries in Australia. One being Lauren Davis, and and in her statement, it was a shoulder injury. She said it was because of the change of of, of pace the the change of the tennis balls at the various events we've heard that quite a bit from some players i think the tour's gotta find a way to fix that because players should not be getting injured because of that riley opalka will still be out and then a third person who's been a guest on our pod steve someone we really enjoyed talking to and watching her play um is is jen brady and you know jen i mean it seems it, it has been a few years ago um, unfortunately when she made the semis of the the US Open when she played that unbelievable match uh against Osaka and then the very next slam was Australia and the following year she uh she got to the finals of that one as well it's been tough going she's had real you know a long injury um from that point you remember she played a, a, like what one event in the summer before leading one or two events leading up to the US Open won a couple matches in the US Open before losing to Wozniacki. Yeah. Um, you and I enjoy watching her play. You and I really enjoy talking with her. We hope these are not injuries that are going to haunt her her whole career. I I, I wish her the the very best, and I I hope she gets back on tour soon.
1: Well, David, I think it's got to be a, it, I, I completely in accord. I think it's got to be a little depressing for her right now. She worked so hard to get back. To now be sidetracked again. Now it, it, she can overcome this. It takes a lot of resilience, though, because you know it's not just your physical uh, resi- It's not just your physical recovery, but it's your emotional equilibrium. You know, it, it, it's a lot to take. It's a lot of psychological punishment to take. So I hope she can keep dealing with that and get some counsel if she needs it. Because you know these are supposed to be the prime years of her life, and she was headed for something pretty extraordinary. I think I'm not suggesting that she would have been winning majors. Left and right, but you already alluded to the fact that she had a a fantastic semifinal against Osaka at the US Open final, followed by a loss to Naomi in Australia in the finals. And so, you know, she was really going strong and she was showing that she was certainly one of the best hardcore players in the world. And you would like to see her given the opportunity to physically be back at full force again. And now, I just
0: saw and just to be to be clear to all the viewers, I just saw that she's out. I don't have details on the specific yeah. injury if it's you know related to her previous injuries or this is something completely new. I don't know that fact, but I did see that she was out. And, yeah, and that, whatever. That's unfortunate.
1: Whatever it is, it's, it, it, it's not needed, as I'm sure she would say. It's <laughs> not what she needs. But just another just to go back to your prior point, uh, David, about the balls. This is becoming an increasing issue in the game. Now let's talk about Djokovic for a moment, if we may. He he comes into this, you know, he had a decent offseason, played an EXO against Carlos, comes in into the United Team Cup, and fine, looked fine in his first round against China. But then when he then against the Czech Republic, he yeah, you could see, you know, he had to have the trainer a few times when he played Lahechka and he managed to win it a strange match six one, six seven, six one. But you could see he was ailing at times and uh, the hope was he'd be better for the next match. But against Steve menor you could see he was very subdued and asking for the trainer again and confident that he could come out of this, David, in the sense that he's had wrist issues before. Uh, but it's not ideal timing. Uh, I remember the last time I remember it happening that it was really apparent was Labor Cup of 22, the fall of 22 when he would missed the U.S. Open because of of having not taken the vaccine and he hadn't really played since Wimbledon he comes roaring back at labor cup beats Tiafo. and then when he played Felix, Felix yeah. FAA a, a couple of days later or a day or two later he, he was really shaking that wrist out and wasn't happy about it fortunately that one went away pretty quickly he needs to he doesn't need to be practicing you know every single day this way he needs but by say midweek he's got to be stepping up his practices and feeling like he doesn't have to worry about that wrist anymore. So, but again, it's happening to too many players. Fritz talked about it last year. A lot of them, they all seem in agreement that the changing of balls, the difference in balls Graf has talked about a bit, a, a bit about it too. It's it's, it needs to, it's an issue that needs to be resolved because too many players are experienced experiencing wrist injuries on different levels. But certainly I hope that Djokovic can, Shake this one off, literally and uh, you know, figuratively, and get moving again in his quest for an eleventh French eleventh Australian Open crowd.
0: Yeah, no, the tours. I think uh, you know, there's always sponsorship and there's money involved, but um, this seems to be a somewhat easy fix if you're looking for the uh, the if you're looking at the well-being of the players. Now, again, there's a lot of business dealings, and you know, I get all that, and that that's obviously plays a huge part in all of. Uh, The sport and any sport, but this seems if you're looking out for the welfare of the players, the tours need to need to fix this, Steve.
1: Um, Yeah. There's enough physical demands as it is. The schedule is rigorous enough on its own. They're susceptible to so many other injuries, but every player, when you think about their, you know, forehand execution, it's the forehand where you see them struggle the most when it comes to the wrist, And you just don't want to see leading players hampered by the, particularly for the wrong reasons. So I just, I'm not suggesting that, it may, that it's po- it may not be possible that they can find a uniform ball, but they can certainly find a uniform ball for a certain number of weeks. Like, for instance, over the summer, post-Wimbledon through the U.S. Open, why not come to some kind of an agreement that all the tournaments will use the same ball through that period? And I then you the- work something out again for the fall so that the players can adjust and they don't have to be so worried about this because it's, it's not good for the game by any means.
0: I think the players would be in a in a, in accordance with your thoughts right there. So um, that'll do it for this episode. The next time we uh, we record, it'll be our Australian Open preview. Just because of scheduling, we may be doing it uh, maybe during the first day. We'll we'll see when it all comes out and what we talk about, but it'll still be plenty early in the tournament. We'll have plenty to talk about. As always, you could find our episodes audio only on all the main podcast platforms. Also, feel free to subscribe on YouTube. You get the uh, video ver- version of our conversation. You could see some of the interaction, obviously, visually um, between Steve and myself during our conversations, and we've had a lot of good feedback uh, of the videos being on YouTube. So please continue to subscribe to that channel. And with that, we're off to a great start, Steve, in 2024, and we're... uh We're we're both getting ready for the first slam.
1: Oh, absolutely, David. Enjoyed it and look forward to our Australian open conversations, which are not far off.